Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. As Christians, the greatest thing we have in our lives is our relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you have a growing intimacy with your Heavenly Father, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit? The only way to have deeper intimacy with the triune God is to be increasingly pure in heart. Jesus declared, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's open our Bible now to Matthew chapter 5 and look at these incredible principles given to us by Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, another teaching. It's a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, just hopefully y'all are just rocking in Jesus. It's uh, golly, it's the Christmas season, right? And uh, just uh, just a, it is a wonderful time of year. For, for many, it's for some people, it can be a sad time of year, but it the more you make it about Jesus, the more we focus on Jesus, which is the meaning of Christmas, just the more fulfilling Christmas we will have. Now, that's not always easy. You know, we have to be intentional. Uh, we have to be deliberate in, in spending time with Jesus and thinking about Jesus and in living our lives in and through and for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, there is, as I've said many, many times, uh, there is there is literally nothing more gratifying, uh, nothing more profitable in our lives, not only in this life, but the next, in living for Jesus and loving for Jesus and giving for Jesus and in forgiving for Jesus. Right, Melanie? That's just the, the meaning of our lives is, is, is growing intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Jesus, we have relationship with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches that, we, that our God is a, is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three separate beings, right, Kent? Um, and they're all God. And in Jesus Christ, we have relationship with all of them with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in and through Jesus Christ, we grow as we apply ourselves, as we, you know, as we make effort to grow in our relationship with each member of the Trinity. We do grow in our relationship through Jesus Christ. Everything happens in and through Jesus. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Um, Lord willing, we're going to finish up, uh, this teaching on the Beatitudes today. Last time we got through verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So today we're going to go verses five through 12. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I had a, a wonderful meeting this morning with uh, my brother, my brother Kent. He's a, uh, he's just a solid man of God. And it was just uh, an encouraging time. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so Matthew 5, again, we're going to pick up in verse 5, and we're going to go 
to verse 12. We uh, Again, this is the beginning of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the most the most famous sermon ever preached by the most perfect, greatest preacher to ever preach, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, we said it is a lifestyle sermon. It's not a sermon that's about salvation. Um, salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul certainly comes only in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're saved from our sin by trusting and relying on what Jesus has done for us at the cross um, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. It's only when we recognize and agree with the word of God that we are sinful and that we run to the foot of the foot of the cross, humbling ourselves before Jesus, acknowledging our hopelessness, our helplessness and our desperation, and that he alone is our only solution and humbling ourselves and asking him to be the Lord of our life and save us from our sin and to bring us to heaven when we die. That's how we become a Christian. That's how we are saved from our sins and ultimately go to heaven when we die in Jesus alone. There's nothing we can do to add to that. Matter of fact, anything we did would just spoil that. Meaning if we tried to add, Scott, anything that, that we did, if we try to add our own works, our own deeds, our own goodness to what Jesus did at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we would, we would spoil it completely. Salvation comes when we know that we're helpless, that there's nothing we can do at all, and that we humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus and ask him to save us from our sins. Now, when we do that, we become a Christian. You know, we become a child of God. God the Father becomes our heavenly Father. And then in this Sermon on the Mountain here, Jesus is teaching us how to live as believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians. And we talked about it's a, it's a teaching for disciples, those who, who really want to live their lives as, as disciplined followers of Jesus. And we got through verse four. We talked about verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the, it's the first beatitude because none of the others work without it. Uh, to be poor in spirit is, is, is for you and I to recognize that, that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are lacking in spirit that we really are poor in spirit. And it's only from that place that, that, that we can be filled. It's only in that place that we can experience the kingdom of heaven. Um, when we think we're rich in spirit, when we think that we, we really have all that we need, then there's nothing for us to receive. But, you know, beginning with salvation, we recognize our poverty of spirit, and in that place, we can go and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, knowing how poor and bankrupt and destitute in spirit we really are. And then as a lifestyle, just as Christians, moment by moment, day by day, do you wake up in the morning just full 
and not needing anymore and just go about your daily business, go about your work and, you know, all your all your responsibilities, not needing any more Jesus? Or do you go about your day waking up poor in spirit, desiring more of Jesus, desiring more, more spiritual fulfillment, right? Because if you already have all that you need, you won't, you won't desire more Jesus. And that's the key to all of our life. So out of that, out of that poverty, poverty of spirit, verse four says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So knowing your poverty of spirit, knowing your lack, do you mourn and grieve over the areas of your life that are out of place? Do you mourn and grieve over the, over the areas where you still have sinful tendencies in your life? Do you mourn and grieve over, over areas of your life where you're not intentionally living for Jesus Christ in a more productive way? And do you mourn and grieve for others? Who are not walking with Jesus? Do you grieve over others who don't know Jesus as their Savior? And do you grieve for others when they're not living for Christ or when they're living in, in deliberate sin? Do you grieve over that? Because Jesus said that, that if you will, if you do have this lifestyle, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I mean, that's a pretty exciting thing to receive heavenly comfort, right? Um, and to be comforted in, you know, in your own grief. So now we move to verse five, and I'm going to read five to, to 12. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. We just, we thank you, Father, for your love and giving us the Holy Scriptures. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear as you open the scriptures to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. So with that, uh, you know, um, review, verse five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This has got to be one of the most uh, difficult virtues or attitudes, you know, to have. It's, it's, uh, it's a virtue that only comes amongst the, the most mature of Christianity. Um, 
the most mature disciples. Now, it's something we all need to begin to practice this day, this moment, as we do all the others. But what is meekness? Uh, one of the great mistakes is that people mistake meekness for weakness. Meekness is not weakness. On the contrary, meekness is actually strength. But it's been, it's been called strength under control. So a meek person is someone who, who understands the situation. Someone who is angry, someone who is not satisfied with the situation, but instead of just losing control, instead of just venting their anger, they actually, they actually refrain, they actually control themselves because more important to them, Corinne, more important to them than how they've been wronged, how they've been mistreated, how, how, how others have been selfish. What's more important to them than their irritation, than their frustration, than their anger is, is, is that they, they not behave in an ungodly way. So in meekness, you have this picture of someone who can be mistreated, but they still behave in a loving and Christ-like way. It's not by any means someone that just gets walked all over, although that's, that's how meek people are viewed, right? Um, a meek person is choosing to behave in a godly way and in a righteous way and in a Christ-like way, you know, even in the face of being mistreated themselves, of being lied about, um, of being persecuted in many different ways, they, they control themselves and they act in, in a Christ-like demeanor. And, and as I said earlier, it's, it's something that's, uh, that's not easy, meaning when, when people are gossiping, right? And you know that, that, that things are being said about you that are not true. It's hard not to run up and just scream and just get frustrated and get irritable and say, that's not true. A meek person is cool, right? Uh, meekness has a coolness about it. This is not in any way talking about disposition. Okay, like my brother Tom said yesterday, we were discussing this at uh, Tuesday morning Bible study. Uh, a meek person is not someone who's just naturally quiet. It's not someone who's just uh, keeps to themselves. That's that. Those qualities are fine. Meekness has nothing to do with your personality. Meekness has to do with your your character. And, and, and how you live your life when circumstances are good and, as, uh, and how you would have them. And also when circumstances are difficult, right? Sometimes it's hard when the Lord allows us to go through difficult circumstances, sometimes very difficult circumstances, 
to not behave in an anger and bitter and frustrated and I've been wronged way. Right, Matthew? Again, in our own home, practicing meekness when our when our spouse, when our family um, are speaking to us or dealing with us in unreasonable ways. How do you how do you handle it? The vast majority of us as Christians just go back and forth and argue because we feel that we've been wronged. We feel that the other person has been insensitive. And, and so we just immediately respond or react in ways that are, uh, that are sinful in themselves, right? We, we have this massive heightened sense of injustice in us, right? You know, any, uh, you know, just any wrong done to us with just this, this massive injustice comes up to us and we want to defend ourselves. A meek person has no need of that. They don't need to defend themselves. They know what's being said is, is foolish. They know if the, if their spouse or, uh, you know, their children, you know, or a girlfriend or, or a boyfriend is saying something that's, uh, you know, that's insensitive or untrue. They, they don't, they don't react. They don't allow the circumstance to control them or the situation to control them. They don't act, right, uh, Father Rick? They, they, they don't react. They act, right? When you react to a situation, you know, someone, you know, uh, cuts you off while you're driving and you just get angry and start screaming, You've reacted now. You've allowed that person and that circumstance to control you. A meek person doesn't react. They act, right, Leah? They're, they're deliberate. They're going to do what Jesus would have them to do, regardless of what the situation is. So do you see what I mean? How this is just one of the, man, this, this, this is real, right? But look what it says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You would think... The fear is that if I act in this way, in this, in this meek way, that you're going to get taken advantage of, that you're going to lose out, that, uh, you know, that people are going to walk all over you. And Jesus said, that's, that's so far from the truth that the entire earth is yours. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 5. Everything will be yours. Everything in this life will be yours. <laughs> That's pretty strong, right? That's the blessing of someone who has a growing lifestyle of meekness. Help us, Lord Jesus. Now, out of this poverty of spirit, verse 3, in understanding our poverty of spirit, and living a lifestyle where we grieve over things that are out of place in our lives and others, and we're, we're laboring to walk in this meek attitude, right? We have, we're strong, but that strength is in obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'd have thought that Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for influence. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for position. Because as Christians today, 
That's what the vast majority of us still hunger for. That's our deepest desire and hunger and thirst is for influence and position and money and power. Forgive us, Lord. But he doesn't say there's any blessing that comes with that. There is no blessing for wanting self-promotion. None of these have any blessings. You notice how all these say blessed, 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 Uncle Dennis. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. All those other things won't fill you. They won't satisfy you. But if you have a deep hunger for what's right, do you have a hunger for righteousness? The Bible teaches three types of righteousness. Uh, Self-righteousness, imputed righteousness, and this one, which is lifestyle righteousness. Lifestyle righteousness is having a lifestyle of, of thinking about what's right, right, Lauren? So you can do what's right simply because it's right. Do you have a lifestyle, a hunger and a thirst for, for just living in a right an undivided way in your thinking and your speaking and in all your acting before Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you have a deep hunger and thirst for what's right? Few of us do. Few of us do. I know I got a long way to go, but what do you hunger and thirst for? Um, Self-righteousness Biblical, and when the Bible talks about self-righteousness, it talks about an individual who's trying to be made right with God, trying to get to heaven by themselves and by their own life, by their own good deeds, just by their own merits, by their own works. The scripture is clear. It will never happen. You cannot get to heaven at all by anything you do. I've said before, the best two minutes of my life cumulatively if you took 10 seconds here, 20 seconds there, a minute here, if you took the best two minutes and put it all together or the best five minutes or 10 minutes, um, it would send me right to hell. And I mean the best time I ever lived. Matter of fact, you can't even add that to the cross. We need to trust in Jesus Christ completely. Now, when you do trust in Christ completely, as we've talked about, the Bible says that you're credited or you're, you're imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The literal righteous life that Jesus lived is credited to you and me. And all of our sin, past, present, and future, is credited to him. That exchange, my sin for the righteous life of Christ, is the heart of the Christian gospel. So we talked about self-righteousness, imputed righteousness. But what Jesus is talking about here is, do you hunger to have a lifestyle of righteousness? Do you want to live a righteous life before God? Do you want to live daily hungering to do what's right in every circumstance? Wherever you are throughout the day, are you thinking about what's right because you really want to do what's right simply for no other reason but because it's right? As I said, regrettably, most of us hunger and thirst for other things. Uh, you may hunger and thirst just for your hobbies. What, what, what what what's your deepest desire? Is it for right relationship and right living with Jesus Christ? Or is it for more money or more influence or more position or more power or, 
you know, to, to, to be in better physical condition um, or whatever your hobbies are to, to you know, you have, you have a hunger to watch, you know, whatever TV show you're watching or to, to look at what's on Instagram or to, uh, to play video games, right? Again, none of these things, you know, these, you know, to watch a movie, there's nothing wrong with that. But do you have a deep hunger and thirst for right relationship and right living with Jesus? Because it says if you do, you will be filled. But you won't be filled by worldly things. You'll be filled by Christ himself, which is pretty exciting, right? You'll be, you'll be filled up, right? You know, it's just this, you know... It, it's it's very interesting that it's uh, you know it's this interesting paradox because apparently as you continue to hunger then you'll be filled but yet you still continue continue to hunger so it's like you're you're never filled up you know because you see how it says blessed are those who hunger and thirst so I should have a continual hunger and thirst but yet at the same time I will be filled so it's kind of unique does, does that make sense May do you see how you know if I was if I was filled, you would think I wouldn't hunger and thirst anymore. But as you hunger and thirst, you actually are filled, but yet you still continue to to hunger and thirst. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So now with this attitude of of desiring right relationship and right living with Jesus, verse seven says, "Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy." Blessed are the merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is when we do not get the punishment that we do deserve from God. That's mercy, right? Um, mercy manifests in many ways. Are you merciful today? Do you have a lifestyle of being merciful? I just, I just said regarding meekness, we all have, most of us have this tremendous heightened sense of injustice when we're mistreated or misspoken of or not, not treated uh you know, when people are selfish toward us, we just, we're a baby. We just get very angry. Um, we get very frustrated. Um, and we just act in very poor ways because we're not meek. Um, we don't handle mistreatment well in any way. Um, because we have this heightened sense of injustice. And when that happens, we kind of want to get back at the person. We want to tell them where they were wrong. We want to we want to stand up for ourselves, right? Mercy is when you don't demand justice. This is a uh, uh, this beatitude is is so important. There are no words. Now they all are, of course, but we have been shown immense. We have been shown incalculable mercy, incomprehensible mercy, at the cross of Christ. We deserved hell. Every single human being has earned and completely deserves eternal hell. God himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, willingly entered a world that he created to save humanity that went bad that he created. Jesus created the world, then he created humanity. Humanity, all of us went bad. We are just totally sinful. And then in the most incomprehensible act of love, he enters in to the world he created 
to save the humanity that he loved and created from their sinful, terrible, vulgar choices, all of us. Lives a perfect life for us on our behalf, dies a torturous, perfect death for us on our behalf, and is alive and risen. That is a mercy beyond comprehension that we have received if you're a genuine Christian today, if you're genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ. The only reasonable response to that in the expectation from our Heavenly Father is that we will live a life of complete mercy toward our fellow human beings. I think it's uh, James chapter 2, it might be verse 13, that says that judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you merciful today? Or do you have to demand justice? Do you have to demand apologies? Do you do you have to demand that people recognize where they're wrong? Are you merciful? If not, it's something we want to repent over. If we're not doing any of these, we want to repent. But there's, th- there ought to be fear if we're not living lives of mercy. Because again, we have been shown so much mercy. The only reasonable reasonable behavior for us is to be forgiving and totally forgiving and merciful to everyone else. And most Christians don't understand this. But he does say, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And really, it's only those who understand the mercy they've received that generally live in a merciful way. But but mercy shows itself everywhere, Right. Are, you're, are you merciful toward those who are less fortunate to you? Do you show them mercy and bless them and not looking for anything in return, right? That's a mercy, right? You know, um, they don't deserve it, right? But yet you're going you're gonna to be a blessing anyway. A merciful person has a heart for those who are less fortunate. Are you merciful? Do you have a, a heart to see other people come to the mercy of salvation, come to really understand the mercy of God and the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you merciful? So yes, mercy overlooks injustices, forgives injustices, right? Doesn't demand justice, knowing that if if we're given justice, the only appropriate justice for us is eternal hell. A person who's not merciful does not know how bad they really, really are. If you don't have a lifestyle of mercy today, then you don't, then that's a sure sign. You don't know how utterly depraved you really are. And I, I mean, I'm not just speaking spiritually. I mean, you are depraved. Show me a person that doesn't, that's not walking in mercy, and I'll show you someone who does not have eyes that see, that's blind to the day-to-day nastiness and selfishness in their own lives because they cannot coexist. If you're not merciful, then you do not see the selfishness in your own life.
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. First, obviously, from the triune God, and then in this life. Do you want mercy? Hmm. It's a blessing. Verse 7. Verse 7 is the one that I'm working on personally right now, and I want to get, get better at. Obviously, I want to do them all better, but uh, blessed, verse 9, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This one is, is, is exciting. Now, again, if you're not walking in all the ones before this, you certainly won't walk in this. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Okay. Um, again, Jesus is speaking to disciples here. A disciple of Jesus Christ, first of all, is a Christian. They're saved from their sin. They're, they're, they're spiritually alive, right? They've trusted in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. But then they're also trying to live a disciplined Christ-like life. They're trying to be an apprentice of Jesus, right? They're trying to emulate Jesus in every aspect of his life. Uh, and so... What does it mean to be pure in heart? Because it says if you are pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to see God? The more pure in heart you really are, and it's a lifelong process, the more you will have eyes that see the triune God at work everywhere in your life and in the lives of others. You'll see your heavenly father in nature. You'll, he's not nature, mind you, but you'll see his work and his beauty in nature. You'll see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your children and in your friends. You'll see the Holy Spirit moving and working in the lives of others. You'll just, you'll see the hand of God. You'll understand and have revelation of who he is. You'll have intimacy with him. You know, we talk a lot about intimacy in the church today, and it truly is the greatest thing, but, but we don't understand the primary place it comes, okay? The primary way that you're going to have intimacy with God the Father is not going to church, although you should. Going to church is a good thing, okay? Um, it's, it's not from 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 singing and having praise and worship in church, although certainly we need to do those things, right? These things certainly help us. But it's by living out all of these beatitudes and ultimately growing to have a greater purity of heart that you will have greater intimacy with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen because you go to church. It doesn't happen because you sing on Sunday. Those are things, again, we should do. But it happens from this lifestyle of living each of these beatitudes. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Someone who's, who's pure in heart is consistently thoughtful to others with the mind of Jesus Christ. Okay, someone who's pure in heart has a uh, has a purity to see others blessed 
in Jesus. Not just their children, right? Pretty much every mother I know and, and, and father just adores their own children, right? Purity of heart is a selflessness when you want to when you want to serve others. And again, not just your immediate family, right? Um, a mother lion takes care of her own. Um, purity of heart is a is a heart that's not polluted with the world, not polluted with with just all the desires for the things of the world and the people of the world and the fame of the world and all the different sinfulnesses of the world. It's a heart that's not not caught up in sin in all its various forms. Blessed are the pure in heart. For the more that you, the more purity you have of heart, the greater intimacy you'll have with your heavenly father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And the more you'll see him in everything. Is there anything better than that? I do want to see and experience and have deeper intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ and see him everywhere. But it only happens to those who walk poor in spirit, to those who have a lifestyle of mourning, to those who are growing more and more meek, to those who are more and more hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to those who are merciful. By walking in all these things, you'll have greater and greater purity of heart and you'll just experience God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in more and more fulfilling ways. Help us, Lord Jesus. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker today? Because it says there's a blessing in being a peacemaker. Oftentimes we want to agitate. Even as Christians, we want to make the problem worse. We want to continue an argument. When you have an argument with your spouse or girlfriend, are you the first one to say, I'm sorry? Are you the first one to make peace? Are you the first one to bring order to the disorder? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. This is children of God ought to be identified as peacemakers. That we want to bring loving peace in and through Jesus Christ. Now, a peacemaker is also someone who, who has a heart to lead others to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we're not Christians, we're enemies of God. Do you have a heart? to lead others into peace with God through the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you have a heart for peace? Do you have a heart to lead others to peace in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord? The promise is that, that, that you'll be identified as a true child of your heavenly Father, and this is how children of our Heavenly Father ought to walk as peacemakers. But how often do we see that, man, we want to stay bitter. We want to stay angry. Now, your job is to do what you can do to bring peace and order. You can't force others to do it. But, you know, Paul, you know, said, I believe in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, be it peace with all men. 
You want to do all that you can to be a peacemaker. I think that's where it is. Verse 10. If you live all these ways, if you increasingly live this, then verse 10 will become in your life. If you have none of verse 10 at all, ever, then you, then you and I know that we're not living as we ought. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're trying to, to truly live all of these beatitudes, then there will be persecution because the world won't like it. Your colleagues won't like it. Uh, many friends won't like it. Many in the church won't like it. But you remember where he says you'll inherit the earth in verse 5? Here he says, all of heaven is yours. Not only going to heaven, but experiencing heaven in this life, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And now look what he says in 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The, the great men of God who went before the Christians of this time and the Christians of our time, they were persecuted for living the way that God wanted them to live. If you'll live in these beatitudes, right? Again, if you make an effort as a disciple of Jesus Christ to walk poor in spirit, to, 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 to mourn over, over your life where things are out of place and to repent and over that of other people's lives. And of course, if you grieve when those are just struggling, right? If you, if you labor to walk in meekness, right? If you have a, a growing hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you look to be merciful on every occasion, if you, if you labor to increasingly be pure of heart and to remove the impurities that are in your faith, that are in your walk, that are in your mind and words and, and actions, if you have a lifestyle of looking to bring peace, then that, then that will come with some persecution. It may be in your family. It could be at work. Um, it could come from everywhere, right? But the world will not like a person that lives like this. But Jesus says when you're insulted for living this way, when you're persecuted, when people are lying about you um, because of Jesus, because all of these things, you notice he says in verse 11, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The reason we do all these things is for Jesus, is we love him. We know what he's done for us. And we want to live in a way that pleases him. Not so we could go to heaven, but because of all that he's done for us. None of this gets us to heaven. We'll get to heaven by what he did. But we want to live this way because, because of him, because we love him. And we want to know him more deeply and intimately. Rejoice and be glad. Do You see, if you live this way, what's funny is you would think by living all this way, right? just everything would go perfect. But he actually says, if you live this way, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven because there will be persecution that comes with that. And because that's how men and women of God over all the centuries have been persecuted for their faith. Now, again, it's hard for us in this life, you know, uh, believe it or not, in Jesus's day, people were actually 
oftentimes day to day didn't know where they were going to get their food. So when Jesus said hunger and thirst for righteousness, right, in verse six, people would have the idea that, you know, man, when they heard him say it, that they're, they're actually, they go hungry oftentimes. In our culture, we don't go hungry for anything, right? But it's just, you know, so much desiring to be right with Jesus and to live right for Jesus even more than physical food, right? But, you know, so once again, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? The more we do these things, the more we open ourselves up for insult, persecution, people lying about us, saying evil about us. But he says that, uh, that great is your reward in heaven. None of us have the same reward in heaven. We all can only get to heaven. Every human being in history can only get to heaven in and through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But we get to heaven not by doing anything, by believing and trusting in Jesus alone. But our reward in heaven will be completely dependent on how we lived our life for Jesus Christ. How we lived out these principles. Great is your reward. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for these incredible beatitudes. Father, we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of unrighteousness. Forgive me, Father, where I have just failed to, to live these out in the way that you have called me to. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us and guide us today and to convict us that we might live these beatitudes, these principles in a more intentional and deliberate way. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for giving us these words. We thank you for the word of God. We ask you to lead us and guide us now as we go forth. Help us to live these out more and more and more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.